Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, welcome back to A Matter of Truth. We're on episode 33. I'm here with Alex. What's happening? What is up? Oh, you know, getting ready for spring, all that good stuff. So, yeah. Hey, you know, you, st- you still got snow in, uh, you still get cold weather it's, over there. It's cool, uh, but no snow, thankfully. Um, I was actually talking to a, uh, uh, a vendor that's north of us about an hour and they still have snow on the ground um they had like a couple inches the other day and i'm like ha we have nothing thank the lord at this moment yeah but i'm yeah it's iowa no so anything can happen <laughs> right right all right man we got a good show i think um it's always a good show when you get to talk about uh elevation oh yeah yeah <laughs> spicy um, so we're gonna What's that? It's, it's just spicy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about man centric, uh, seeker friendly elevation church and uh, something related to the pastor there. Mm-hmm. It's always a fun topic to tackle, and uh, and then we're gonna get into what I'll get let you introduce the second. Topic. Uh, the second topic What's was a question presented um, on a Q and A, and I thought it was appropriate to have a more open discussion. And it is uh, around why did uh, people in the Old Testament marry their kinsfolk and have multiple wives? So we're going to look at that construct and and try and hopefully provide a answer for you. Awesome! That's going to be a fun one. It'll be interesting. <laughs> well, and you know when you tackle anything in the Old Testament, last last uh, episode we tackled, Jen, yeah. Uh, you know, you, you peel back some onions and you really kind of. You dig in and you and you get to know you get to know scripture a little bit more. That's true. All right, man. Let's jump into yep. it. So, Elevation Church, Stephen Furtick, um, he and his wife, they were, um, I believe, they were promoting their son, who is a rapper. Yeah. Uh, I hope you use air quotes name, with that. <laughs> I did. Yeah, I did. Here. <laughs> Air quotes for sure. Um, some of the worst rapping yeah, from just a technical terrible. standpoint. <laughs> it's bad. Anyway, um, that aside, um, he goes by the stage name of Dot the Dash. And apparently he recently released a, uh, a I think it's a, it's a project. He's probably doing it from home. He's got all the money in the world from his dad. Um, and, uh, Anyway, the the song that was highlighted, I saw a video, honestly, and I shared it with you. Isn't that right, Alex? Yep, yep, yep. It, it was uh, it was tough to sit through. It was very, it was very. And so, go ahead, go ahead. I was just gonna. No, no, no. You go. <laughs> I was gonna say it's it, it's one of those things that's just it, it paints the picture of the West 
in the in the structure of the church and it, it, it sets yeah. the tone for this um you know i don't know just it it really just gives really christianity a bad name when it's it's one more it thing is. that gives christianity a bad right. name and uh, man we're on a roll of late the last few months so you know his son i'll, I'll jump right into what the issue mm-hmm. is is so you got a son and he's uh, he's doing or Stephen Furtick has yeah. a son and he is actually celebrating in this song in this video, gun sex and you know hyping on the uh, designer clothes. So um, throughout the song, he references oral sex, drinking Hennessy, and about his bro keeping a gun. And again, this paints a picture. Uh, of where this man-centric, uh, seeker-friendly churches are, are headed. It's just it's just another direction, all downward, mind yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, of 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 an, of the issue because they don't attack the issue of of sin in their church. No, not at all. So so apparently, he and his wife, you know, they they're they've been under the microscope getting some criticism, but what else is new there? Uh, you know, about hyping his, hyping the sun from the pulpit. I know I commented regarding that being a huge issue because look, when, when you, when you get into it, everybody has teenagers, teenagers rebel. Mm-hmm. But I think this really kind of what we want to kind of dig into, or at least I want to dig into is um, Stephen Furtick. He's a pastor. Pastors are held, James yep. one right, H- higher yep. standard, stricter standard, and um, he is responsible for that that young man and bringing that young man, disciplining that young man. He's not an adult; he lives under Furtick's household. So, you know, I, that's that's part of this conversation. Um, and and I was ta- I was talking to you earlier about. You know, I'd like to frame this about what's the pulpit to be used, and kind of go go through some bullet points. You got anything, Dad? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, this is to me it's one hundred and one, and I don't understand how people miss this point. The pulpit should be used to teach God's word and to bring glory and honor to the Lord. It's it's not it's not meant to push and promote worldly ideolo- ideologies. Right. And secular ideas and practices, right. and what you see here in a video of um, a Furtick, you know, he's hyping one of his. I think it's a love song at Elevation at, at church. So, I mean, how many people does Elevation have show up to a Sunday oh, service? You think? Yeah, at least they they probably serve quite a few thousand people a weekend. Oh yeah, right. Easily, I'm, I'm sure they have the. Right, stadium yes. seating, stadium seating, and yeah. So, so you have a pastor. The guy, as far as I know, he 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 never or rarely teaches from the Word of God, from Scripture. Mm-hmm. But he's okay with setting aside time, promote his son, and it's like, are you even thinking about this? Because we, you know, he's heard his, you know, the rap, the song that and what it's promoting. I mean, does he not think that people, people's children will go and check out the the project and hear that song? Yeah. And, and so, I, responsibility. Yeah, and 
here's the thing. The, the, the church in the West ha, ha, it has a sickness inside of it. And I think we've talked about this on a few shows in the past. And, mm-hmm. and I think we've even talked when you were on uh, my show on Dying Light for those uh, worship episodes that I did a while back. And it, it's, a, it's a pretty common thing for, for many people in particular circles to just kind of step back and say, there's an obvious sickness in the church. There's something happening right now that is contrary to God's word. And, and, and I come back to this, uh, this notion of over and over again, the, the pulpit is designed to deliver God's word. It is designed to bring the law and the gospel into the congregants ears. It is not meant to promote your kids, their activities. It's not meant to bolster your record sales or your book sales or anything like that. If you write a book, great. Go talk about it off outside of the church service timeframe. If you uh, write music on the side, talk about it outside of the service. The service is a time that the Christian is has the opportunity to come before God repent of their sins and offer their worship to him. And, and you don't see that in Furtick's church. And obviously by the, the vulgarity of this music that his son's producing, obviously there is no gospel in his son's ear. And, and we know that Furtick doesn't preach any gospel, uh, despite what people want to, you know, think I was actually reading this comment here and this, this lady's like, you know, trying to defend Stephen Furtick preaching the gospel. I'm like, you know, I've listened to a number of his sermons and I never hear it, not once. And, and, I'm, and I still wait for people to actually bring me a time that he's preaching the true gospel and not sugarcoating it or not truncating it or not twisting it for a particular viewpoint. And over and over again, we find that this, that these people can't, you know, provide the proof that we want because, you know, we, we see verdict, uh, continuously blaspheming God's word. We see that not just in his church, but in many churches, you know, even it doesn't have to be a mega church. It could be even, you know, small town churches where the message is prosperity. I mean, uh, I see the, the, they've been popping up a lot on like <clears throat> uh, the reels and stuff of just these like blatant, weird, charismatic Pentecostal type worship services. And like, they're not in a big church, you know, there's maybe a hundred people there and they're doing weird things like cult like activities. That's yeah. not Christianity. And so we, we have this just uncontrollable, cancer that's spreading through the church and and i'm finding you know it's it's attacking the the mainstream denominational churches it's already caused the lutherans to split causing the methodists to split the baptists are splitting uh the presbyterians have split and then you've got you know the reformed churches which you know you've got a hundred different flavors there um and and it just goes on and on down the line how how do we control it confine it and and separate ourselves and whether, you know, you're Baptist or you're a reformed 
Calvinist and I'm a Lutheran or I'm a Methodist or Presbyterian, whatever it is, how do we reconcile those minor differences and say enough is enough and, and, and as a church come against these false teachers? Because here's the thing. If we go to scripture, they didn't tolerate false teaching at all. It was far worse in the Old Testament. They would just kill the person. But in the New Testament, they would excommunicate them and, and, and really make it known that this person was to be avoided. The early church uh, would excommunicate false teachers, and in some cases, they were put to death. Right, right. I'm not advocating to put anybody to death, so don't take that. that that's what I'm doing. <laughs> what I'm saying is we don't have church councils anymore that come together and uh, you know articulate sound doctrine. We've got... 500 Christian podcasters uh, out there all, all toting their same ideologies. And then we have, uh, you know, 10,000 church pastors out there teaching something completely different. And so uh, the average church going person is probably so blind and confused by all the different things going on that there's nothing sound in the church. And it's, and it's really missing from the church at large. And again, it doesn't matter whether whatever flavor you want to give yourself, whether it's Lutheran, Presbyterian, Reformed, Calvinist, Methodist, whatever it is, there there are splinters and divisions of false doctrines seeping into all of those pieces, and yeah. the deceivement, the deceitfulness of that is long spilling. I mean, it covers a lot of ground, and I I, I just come back to this notion that you know. We can harp on on the Furtics and the and the Olsteins and the TD Jakes and all that. Those guys are easy easy things to pick at, but they also deceive millions of people. And and look, I know we can we can you know cherry pick uh, text and throw Matthew seven in there and say oh the path is narrow to heaven. Yeah, okay, that's that's fine and all, but I'm really concerned that you know, more so to what Matthew 24 says that in the end end of times, which is from the time Jesus ascended till now, there will be many false teachers and false prophets who come among us and they will lead many astray, even some of the elect. And so we know Mm. that people who attend the Olstein and the Furtick churches, not all of those people are saved, but you can also use that argument for any church in the United States or around the world. Just because you go to church doesn't make you saved. Yeah, it's 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 just like just because you're a conservative doesn't mean you're a Christian. Right. It's it's yeah, exactly. And so it's it, it just comes back to this to this to this thought that you know we and I say we I think as the church collective, uh, the Orthodox Church, and again, you can be different different flavors of that. I don't care. But we need to be firm against these types of things because, see, not only by Furtick not saying anything, in fact, what he's doing is praising his son for this music. He and his wife are celebrating the work. Yeah, straight up. That that they're they they've they're quoted as saying on on I think Holly Furtick's uh, her Instagram. She's so proud of the, of this project. Mm-hmm. Right there, you have a fundam- fundamental issue uh, with respect to she's celebrating the work. And what her son has put out. Right. And it's utter trash. I just want to read some of these lyrics for you. All right. Brace yourself for it. I, I 
<laughs> this is not my I, like. You know, I, I know you've you, we've been doing a show together for a while, and I know I, I butcher some words, and and sometimes my tongue doesn't work. But this is not proper English, and this really makes me cringe when I read it. All right, here we go. <laughs> I got the drip rich a million. I'm only 16, but I make up a Billy. My pants are from Ricky. My bro keep a blicky. I'm getting in racks and I get them in plenty. I'm dripping infinitely. Okay. There's a lot of, you know, references made in, in, in that, in that little uh, paragraph. And, and, and for those who may not be like in the, the language, like I had to watch the video yeah. that you sent me to like, you know, like I knew some of this stuff, but I'm like, I don't, I don't know what pants from Ricky means, but apparently it's some designer, yeah, some fancy designer. Yeah. But it just, it's like, you know, in, 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 in the notes I have on the screen, it says in parentheses next to Blicky, it means a gun. So his buddy yeah. is packing heat wherever they go. And his dad's out there cheering him on from the sideline. It's like, this is not Christianity. Look, look, I'm not saying you can't have a gun. You know, I, I know many good Christians who, who uh, carry a firearm and they're respectful diligent gun owners. I own a gun myself. I carry my gun. My, you know, my father-in-law owns one, carries one. My dad, my brother, we all own guns. We're responsible gun owners. When I'm not taking it anywhere, it stays locked in a safe, put away out of sight and out of mind from the kids. Yeah. And yeah, you know, this is just blatant criminal activity. I mean, this is just, it's, I, I really don't have words for it. It's celebrating, um, it, it's, it's celebrating number one, rebellion. Yep. It's celebrating, uh, you know, drunkenness, violence. Yep. And I mean, so you're a pastor, so let's talk a little bit about this. Let's kind of, <laughs> let's, let's pull it to, um, first Timothy three is what yeah. popped into mind. Uh-huh. So, so clearly Furtick is not running his own garden he's not taking care of his own garden his own household right. well because in first timothy three qualifications for overseers and deacons and i'm just going to read from the i'm going to read just just because i have it pulled up here in front of me um on, on my screen it is the niv that's oh. light oh. sorry sorry people <laughs> don't call me heretic. Uh, here is a trustworthy saying whoever aspires to be an overse- an overseer desires a noble task now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, uh, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not giving to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, but a lover, not a lover of money. He, mu- he must manage his own household well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. Okay? And right I mean, so that was only, that was up to verse four, right? Already, again, getting biblical Mm -hmm. here. Let's get biblical, right? I mean, praising their son's project, okay? There is, they are in complete, um, they're in an opposite, they're in opposition to what scripture is teaching here in 1 Timothy 3, uh, up, up through verse four. Yep. 
Yep. Right. If anyone doesn't know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? Exactly. And, you know, look, you know, as a pastor, as a father, as a husband, I've been married, we'll be, we'll celebrate 15 years um, in August and we'll have, we have two beautiful kids. Look, I I fall short all the time. You know, I I find myself uh, dealing with the sins of my past as a father now trying to keep that from seeping over into my kids. And, you know, it's, and if you're curious, you know, like I'm always an open and honest book. Um, You know, my, my family uh, growing up wasn't church going. My parents and I argued and fought a lot. And so, you know, arguments and fighting was a commonality in my household. And when, when you see that for 18 years, it's kind of imprinted into your mind. And so you, you know, when, when something in an accident happens, you, you like, you get frazzled and upset. And, and so I'm really trying to, you know, step back, be calmer and collective and think, okay, how can, you know, I navigate this in the proper waters. And, and, and I stumble, I mean, I'm, I'm infallible. I'm a sinner just like everybody else is. And, but at the end of the day, you know, I can tuck my kids into bed, pray with them. And I know that even though I stumble and they stumble, that we can forgive each other, love each other and go to bed without any quarrels. Same thing with my wife. We never go to bed angry. We always work out any differences or anything, which is usually mostly related to food. Um, and (laughs) it's, but, but that's kind of the, that's the thing. When you when you have a pastor like this, whose son is blatantly affirming to the secular ideologies of success and money, I mean, this I I got the dip rich a million line. Okay, he's sixteen, and he's he's got a lot. His parents give him a lot of money. I mean, his parents are well wealthy individuals. I mean, that's not anything that should be shockingly news to anybody. But I mean, this kid's 16 years old. I mean, I was making like eight bucks an hour working in a fast food restaurant at 16. And he's over here rapping about having a billion dollars, having a million dollars. You know, he's, he's got designer clothes. He drinks Hennessy. He goes out and parties all the time. I mean, it's like, where is the parental oversight here? And if you can't control your kids, you know, there's only one, there's only one thing in the Bible. And I'm actually going to preach on it this Sunday with like a delinquent child. And that's the prodigal son, right? The younger son goes to his dad, demands his inheritance, takes everything, you know, all the livestock and all the probably grains and stuff like that, that he was, would to be offered sells it, cashes it all out, and then goes out into the far world and and squanders it. And and later we see that his brother accuses him of buying prostitutes, which you know we don't know if he did or not. But the younger brother squanders all of his money and then goes and uh chains him or goes and sells himself to a pig farmer, a Gentile pig farmer, and lives amongst the squalor for a period of time before saying, I have to go back to my dad. Maybe if I go back and you know, grovel at his feet long enough, he'll, he'll give me a, a, a servant position and I can work there. And so when he comes back, the father comes running out to greet him 
and wraps his arms around him, kisses him, demands the servant near them to get him the finest robe, put a ring on his finger, kill a, ca- a fattened calf, and we're going to have a party. But mm. here's the here's yeah. the difference. This kid, Elijah, is not the prodigal son, and Stephen Furtick is not the father for these two reasons. The father doesn't celebrate his son's uh, blatant misbehavior. Celebrates the yeah, return. He celebrates the, the return. Now, if Furtick was out on the stage going, you know what, guys, look, um, my son said something in a song. I've had conversation with him. He's going to retract it or he's not, you know, whatever it is. I've talked to him. I'm, I'm not happy with it. It doesn't fit right with the gospel message that we are trying to portray. If Furtick did that, this wouldn't be a conversation we are having. But he's out here celebrating the fact that his son is doing all of this blatant, just garbage behavior. Well, and, you know, on top of that, you got to think, this pastor has been pastoring at, pastoring at that, that church for, I mean, gosh, like as long as I can remember, for a very mm-hmm, long time, mm-hmm. okay? And the sheer fact that his these these people that defend him to the nines, defend Elevation Church, it goes to show that they these people have been conditioned to accept this kind of behavior, to not call out and question, wait a minute, why is Furtick taking five minutes out of you know time to uh, to be learning about God's word to praise his son. Mind you, it wasn't the song, I want to be very clear, that he was he was praising. It was some other love mm-hmm. song or something. Point being, it's pointing people, his thousand upon thousand upon thousand, however many thousands of people that attend there and listen and watch, it's, it's pointing them in a purposeful way to go check out the project for hits, views, to buy, to download. That's what's going to happen. And what do they get when they download? They're not getting God-centered, sound theology, doctrine from this kid's songs. Yep. So it, it, it's it's very, it is a very planned out effort to promote his son for sales. Okay, that's a problem mm-hmm. in the house of God, and this is my problem with um using the pulpit for anything other than learning God's word, being brought up in his word, hearing about very, very specific things in application that you take from scripture. It could, yes, it could be used in, in various ways, but it's all discipleship, yeah. okay? It's not taking out big super, super soaker uh, squirt guns and, and, and ha- you know, it's, it's like a three-ring it circus there and at the Glades yep. and... You know, at all these yep. places. I, I like this. Uh, I, if this is the article, I think, that goes along with the video you sent me. And I want to read this because I think it really helps to paint the picture even more of, of how in violation verdict is of Scripture. Because it tells you to be a good manager of your finances. If you're a pastor, you are to manage your finances respectfully and be a good steward. Um, so I'm a pastor of a small church. I'm not making millions of dollars a year. Uh, I live in a parsonage that is given to us by the church and I I live here rent free 
And so I don't have a living expense in that category to make up. And, and yet I, you know, my wife and I find ourselves, you know, being able to pay our bills on time and, and live our life, not, you know, extravagantly, we live in a small town, but live our lives comfortably. And there's a big difference between a small town pastor and Stephen Furtick. And here, here it is. So Elijah, this 16 year old, uh, which by the way, we didn't even talk about all of the really disgusting lyrics that he uses in his song, but this is his lifestyle. The, the privileged lifestyle that he grew up in multi-million dollar home, 16,000 square feet mansion, 16,000. <laughs> now we have a, 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 a ranch style parsonage and the upstairs is 2000 square feet. It's two be- It's three bedrooms, one and a half baths or, or two baths upstairs. It's got a decent kitchen, good sized living room in that. I mean, it's a, it's a nice house. And then we have a full refurbished basement. And so that adds square footage. But we don't even come close to 16,000 square foot mansion, which I believe the church, I quote that, um, paid for and wrote it off as a parsonage. It was either him or, or Joel Osteen, one of the two. Uh, I think I remember yeah, hearing that. And, yeah. I don't know yeah, which one. Yeah, I don't either. But one of them, and, and, and it doesn't matter whether it's either, it's blatant misuse of church money. They write off the house purchase as a parsonage so they don't have to pay property tax on it. So his father, uh, Furtick, Stephen mm-hmm. Furtick, um, loves to w- show off his outlandish lifestyle uh, wearing watches that start at $13,000. The most expensive watch I own, I paid $200 for, and I got it from, uh, it's a Movado that I got at an outlet store. And, you know, from a Movado outlet store thing. So, I mean, it's it's legit, but it's like three years older than the current models when I bought it. So, I got it for, you know, good discount. He wears $1,000 boots, $500 sweatshirts or sweaters. Uh, so a typical outfit, uh, just clothing, can run anywhere between three and five grand for verdict. My my most expensive suit that I wear, if I wear a suit to preach in, is like one hundred and twenty five bucks. Now, I mean, if you add the tie and the dress shirt, and then if you want to get really stingy and say, okay, well, now we need to add the undershirt and your underwear and your socks, I might get up to one hundred and fifty five bucks. And what you're talking about, First John two fifteen, yeah. like rings into my head. I mean, about loving the world, the things of the yep. world, and I mean, it's. I mean, it says if anyone loves the world, what the love of the Father is not in yeah. him. Okay, and if you're not responsible with your finances, and you're more caught up in everything you just outlined, clearly your lifestyle reflects who your God is. Is it your checkbook or, you know, is it God? Yeah. And I'm not saying having money, there's anything wrong with it, but you, what you're pointing out is just an abuse mm-hmm. and on display yeah. yep. of, 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 of money and the love of money. Again, I'm not saying 
making money and and even even buying nice things is a problem. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's it's all in what you do with it, how you right. do it, and and what you're portraying. And let's go back to what we're talking about. Stephen Furtick isn't you or right. me. He's a he's a pastor, a mega church pastor of. I, I should pull up. I should pull up how many people are in you know in his congregation. Um, but that's that's what we're talking about. And so how how can some how can a a um, air quotes rock star pastor yeah. know anything or relate to anything in you know uh, of the uh, of his congregation? Are, are you ready? Are okay, you ready here, real quick? I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, no, no. Go ahead. Uh, they have 21 locations across the U.S. and in Toronto. Oh my gosh! They average over 26,000 attendees a week, <clears throat> with an additional 65,000 from their uh, websites and their you know e uh, online ministries. Hundred thousand people. Okay. Okay. So, so. That is a it's, that's a major problem. Huge, absolutely. The, the structure of, of of Western churches is nothing. It doesn't. It looks nothing. It is nothing like what we see in scripture. Right. Absolutely nothing. And um, and again, just you know, you go back to um, you know being like the world, looking like the world, because that's what these pastors um, that that's what they're about. I mean, so let's do a comparison. And I know he's, he's this is a whole other topic. Um, you know, John MacArthur is considered a um, a mega church mm-hmm. pastor, so, so to speak. Um, and I know there's some things going on with him, and I'm not going to even get into that or touch that right, right now. Um, but he's a man of God. I'll just say that. I don't care what anybody says. Um, I think that it, he's a sinner too, and he makes mistakes in how he, he maybe handles something, or something maybe didn't get bubbled up to him. Mm-hmm. That you didn't know about, but anyway, that's a topic for another time. I'm still digesting and and want to go through some things, but let's just take his church or or even Lester Beck. He's got a huge church as well. Yep. Okay, let's you look at you look at these two men of God, and then you you go ahead and look at Hillsong, look at Elevation, okay, look at Joel Olstein, look at the difference, and and this is. This is what I think we always try to to, to go to, it, it, and it's not about how big your congregation is. It's about how you're handling the word right. of God, and are you looking and acting and being like the right. world? Go to Romans twelve yep. two. You are not to be transformed, conformed. I'm sorry, <laughs> conformed to this right. world. Yeah. These guys get a taste of fame. It's the same. It's the same deal with you know being. A musician, you, once you get a taste of that, it's like a, it's like heroin. It's like a mm-hmm. drug, okay. And you want more and more and more, and that's where Satan gets you. He he, he is he is the prince of pride. Yep. He's the prince of self, and you know, in, in kind of trying to keep this in this one little hole, rabbit hole we're in. This is the issue with the people that defend these pastors. Over God, over the Word of God. Go read the Bible in context. Read it. We say this a hundred times in, in 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 every episode. Read your Bible the way it's supposed to be read. The way you would go read a book yep. in context. Yep. 
and taking into consideration who it's written for, why it's written, what a parable right. is, what an allegory is. Come on, people. Yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and none of these people that go to those types of churches, they miss the point because they're wrapped up in their star yep. pastor. Yep. And their star rock musicians. Yep. And, you know, you, you actually read my mind because I was going to draw MacArthur as a, you know, shining example because MacArthur's made statements about verdict in his uh, uh, sermons and that in the past. And, you know, he even, you know, and then that caused verdict to write a, a book called, oh, was it unqualified or something? Because he, he, he yeah. couldn't, he didn't understand the insult that was given to him. So, <laughs> right. uh, but see, that just goes to show. It's like, okay, here's, here's the big problem. First of all, verdict went to a really well known seminary. It was what Dallas was it Dallas theological seminary that he went to. Ooh, you got me there, man. He went to, I don't know. Basically it was a reform seminary. Okay. And it was pretty prestigious in the reform circle. Um, and, and I remember him coming out of seminary and shortly into his ministry life, he makes these comments. If you want to learn the doctrines of grace, you're going to the wrong church. And then he goes on to say, in fact, if you come to know who Jesus is, you're going to the wrong church because that's not what we're about. He makes those comments blatantly <laughs> and people still just cheer him on. And <clears throat> I think this, this goes to show, like you, you nailed it perfectly. It's, it's this lifestyle, the rock star lifestyle mentality. You get a taste of fame, and it's like it's like cocaine or heroin or meth, and you it and you really got to have more of it. And yep, here's here's another issue that's coming is a lot of these churches. For one, they're they're not sound. We've highlighted that enough. Uh, and and in that construct, we would say that preachers probably are they fall into the category exactly of what Peter writes in second Peter two, where they are essentially just drinking in their damnation and building up God's wrath against them. But taking point, what happened with Hillstong just uh, like the earlier this week with Brian Houston stepping down uh, because now there's sexual legal charges coming against him that may put him into jail for years. And uh, there was a mega church up in northern Illinois. I forget that it was a couple years back. I forget the pastor who was there um, got swept up into this sexual allegations again. And they had to fire the lead pastor and like three other people on staff. And then some I don't know if anybody actually got arrested, but there was I mean, it was a it was big headlines in the Christian circles for a while. And this was sad to have been at least about eight years ago now. But, you know, mm. it, it just goes to show, it, like you said, one, it doesn't matter the size of the church. When we, when generally when we say mega church and we use that term lightly and we often should put air quotes around it, it doesn't mean every big box church. It, the mega church mentality is a prosperity focused. It's, it's draw, it should be, it's a good it point. should be drawing us yeah. to the Furtick's and the Osteen's and the TD Jake's. Now, if we say the church or the Orthodox church, then that should draw us to sound doctrinal churches, no matter what the size. You know, my congregation is, you know, 100 people at best, 120. 
And, and, and I hope I preach a sound message to them every week. You know, like, like you said, read this, read the scripture as it is. It says, and as a preacher, I preach it in that manner. This Sunday, as I had said earlier, is, is the prodigal son message. And we, uh, in the, in the notes I have, I highlight this, you know, uh, towards the end of the, the parable, I say, you know, for us to understand the, the importance of what is being read here, we have to understand the cultural context of what's being given to us. We can't just read it at face value. There's, there's more to this onion that needs to be peeled off. And, and I do that every week with my congregation. I say, here's your text. And then we unpack it and we break it down and we examine it. And then I, you know, move through the sermon with them. Furtick doesn't do any of that. It, it's, it's just always a hodgepodge of, you know, wacky theology and, you know, just junk. It's junk theology. Well, it, it, I mean, because he's out for his own, he's out for self, he's out for gain. And as, as was, Carl Lentz and and look and, and when I'm talking talking about gain it's it's not only money and fame but it, it's it's the sense of being in some kind of inner circle right again it's 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 pride it's it's this gain that they're that they are clearly after and you, you, you look at what happened to to Lentz yep. recently yep. I mean it's just one it's it's one thing after the other and you know Paul. Paul talks about this, about false teachers who view uh, godliness as a means um, of gain in, what is that, First, uh, oh my gosh, First Timothy 6, 5. Not every man, not every man should think about getting into, um, uh, into, ministry. In, into yeah. the business of, of ministry and, and teaching. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is, you know, it's clear. It's clear about how they how they'll be judged, and 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 the interesting thing is again going back to the followers, they they I don't understand how they how they miss that, and, and look look I'll be the first to admit like say say something comes out with that MacArthur knew some stuff, I'll be the first I'll be the first one to say you know what if he knew he's in error he needs to come clean, mm-hmm. um. And he needs to confess his sin. And, you know, because the reality of it is all of these men are sinners, just like the Pope yep, is a sinner, yep. right? Don't put, you put no man on a, on a pedestal, right? No, not a single one. They're all capable of falling into sin, especially the mega ones, because they are surrounded by yes men and by, by, uh, by, by people that attend the church that just drool over them mm-hmm. and that they can do no wrong and pride leads to just terrible, terrible, terrible sins that you know that you can pass down to your kids. Yep. yep. And you you, you got to be careful. And that's that's exactly it. And again, you know, I think this is a topic we've we've harped on quite a bit on the show recently because I think we've really taken quite a a stance on what it means to be a biblical Christian and and how do you read and interpret your Bible. And, um, you know, we can, we can hound on these guys forever and a day, but I I would like, as the show is getting late in time, I want to shift the questions now as we still talk highly about 
the scripture and we talk highly about um, what God's word says and how can we interpret it. And we're going to give you what I'm going to throw this out there. It just came to you. Maybe no matter what we do in the show, maybe we, we do a, a hermeneutical corner at the end of the show and we just pick a passage and we read it and we talk about different, you know, ways to read and interpret that passage. I, I think that, yeah, I like I, that. I think that yeah. would be really awesome. Um, I think so too. So we, we, we were given this question, um, about essentially incest in the Bible, which would be, you know, a brother and sister, uh, marrying and having children or first cousins, things like that. Um, how does, how does that align with like our modern viewpoint? Like we think incest is disgusting and, and rightly so as sadly many on the left, uh, in politics in the United States would probably be advocates for, you know, incest being legalized uh just as they are pushing the whole pedophilia crap down our throat <laughs> yeah it's, it's that way it's one thing after another give them an inch and they'll take a mile yeah but here's the thing um scripture gives us insights into things and it's not a matter of whether god allows it to happen because in some cases he does but there's greater reasons for certain things to happen can I interject yep. something there real quick? So keep your train yep. of thought here. Um, and I know we're at like 46 minutes, so I'll try to keep this short. So you bring up an excellent point. And, and I would say this. God, God doesn't allow for incest. He, he, he never right. did. The thing, that, the thing that distinguishes the difference between what God has ordered prior and after he commanded that it was sin in Leviticus 18. I think think it's 6 through 18. There's a big difference. Yeah, I I think there definitely is. And... Because because these... Because prior to that... and, And I'll let you continue with your thought. Prior to that, God's will was unfolding. And there were... There were men and women that... Uh, that he used to populate yeah. the earth. I just got two trains of thoughts uh, with this. And one of it is understanding the framework. Like you said, it, it wasn't until Leviticus 18 that God commands against incest. And so you can argue until this notion was given verbally that incest wasn't necessarily a sin. It was just marrying a close relative, whether it was, you know, a half sister yeah. or a cousin or something like that. Uh, Cause there's those examples. And, and I want to talk a little bit about Abraham and Sarah yeah, yeah. Um, in a moment. But my, my, my point is, with the Adam and Eve being the first humans on earth and whether you believe that they were the only humans, um, it it doesn't, that doesn't change theology really much. Um, but if they're the only humans, then their goal is to populate the world. And with, with the blood being so pure, uh, there would have been no like, uh, major issues with the offspring. Yeah. The DNA mutations were, 
very, very, um, I mean, very, very minute probably. And I mean, also you think about, um, just how pure earth and sky and land was, right. It wasn't contaminated. I mean, so the, the, the things they were putting into their body on top of it, I mean, yeah, very little. And so whereas like today, you know, we eat processed foods, drink processed drinks, we take pills all day long. Some of us smoke, some of us drink, some of us do drugs, whatever it is. We are. Con- yeah. And you, and, and you know what? Think about it. No. Sorry to interrupt. This just popped in my head. I mean, if you think about it, Adam and Eve, th- before they sinned, they were perfect. Mm-hmm. They were perfect. What does that mean? That means their DNA perfect. was perfect. Yep. Perfect. And yep. so. No, Sorry. you're good. You're good because it's. I think it helps provide like some understanding. It's like, but here's the thing: you're not going to ever see God ever say that it was okay, but He allows it. And and this is a good case in point with Abraham and Sarah, uh, because there's there's a promise given to Abraham and a promise given to Sarah, which is Jesus Christ. And so from the lineage of Abraham, we will have Jesus. But here's the other thing too. We have uh, the, the the question was kind of pinned with, you know, the incest level and uh, marrying multiple people or having multiple wives. Abraham slept with Sarah's slave against God's order. So Abraham sins. We understand that. But Abraham fathers a child, Ishmael. And I think sometimes we, we kind of forget about Ishmael and we, we forget that God actually gave Hagar a promise about Ishmael and Ishmael's descendants become uh, the Ishmaelites, which then if I remember correctly are like uh, would be considered today, like uh, the nation of like uh, Asia type people, Asians, the Persians, right. somewhere in that thing. And, and so, just because the promise wasn't given of eternal life or a, a savior to Hagar, she was still given the fact that her son would be the father of many nations. Yeah. And, yep. And so no matter what, here's the thing. God will use a, a tragedy or a mishap of human thought for his will and purpose. Um, Adam and Eve sinned and, and in Genesis 3, God could have killed him on the spot and started over. But what does he do? He goes before us and he says to Eve, he says, from your, from your fruit, I will give you a savior. Paraphrasing Genesis 3.15. So we have the, the, the promise of a savior already at the fall of mankind. At the moment man sins, the promise is given. And yeah. so God does not deviate from that promise, no matter how much man deviates from God. God will continue to give that promise to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Joseph, to Moses, to uh, jo- uh, Joshua, and on and on and on. The promise doesn't change. Even though man sins, Abraham sinned, Isaac sinned, Jacob sinned, Joseph sinned. You know, Moses said, I mean, they all did things that, you know, were against God. And, and, and so when we get to Leviticus, God sees that there's 
all of these things going on in all these other cultures. And God says, you need to be set aside. I am taking you and making you my own people. You will be different. Mm -hmm. And he takes them and gives them all of these laws and all these rules and states, you will be different. And so that's where we get the incest command commandment coming in. And, and now as we get to our time, we see that we have, uh, many, you know, dilutions of DNA. We have mutations of it. It's, it's, you know, really, uh, become quite cumbersome and it's, it's not, you know, at that point of Leviticus 18, I mean, what is that like from the time between, um, up until Leviticus 18, is that like 2,500 years or something? I think, um, you, you, so slowly the DNA would have been broken down. So, you know, again, God is not a God of chaos. So at the point where he gives Moses the word in Leviticus 18, and that's the point in time God's like enough is enough is enough. The DNA is to the point where bad things will, will start happening if people continue to marry close relatives. Cause I think you nailed it um, with respect to prior to that, what they were doing, you know, even, you know, with Noah and again with Adam and Eve and um, their sons and who they married, um, it was marrying a close relative. So Cain could have poten- or yeah, Cain could have potentially married his wife who was a younger sister that he never knew because, I mean, they lived a lot longer than we do right. today. So he could have never even known his right. sister. Uh, that's just one example. And really, you know, in, and, and if you think about um, Lot and his daughters, that was an incest. That was really non-consensual right. rape of right. their father. Yeah, exactly. There, there's a there, there's a big yep. difference because when you when you think of incest by today's standards, you you think of you know the abuse of a powerless right individual right. Yep. of yep. a victim and who is not of an age to defend yep. themselves yep. in Often many minors. cases. Exactly. So it's a completely, you know, assigning the word incest to um, prior to Leviticus um, is, I think, a stretch. I think it's, I think, more appropriate term would be they married close relatives, and it was not incest in the sense of how we know incest today. And and then even moving forward, look what happened with, um, oh my goodness, um, David, David's son. Who lusted after his, uh, after his sister, and she raped he he, he yep. raped her, and then his brother yep. killed him. So, you 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 see things, uh, you know, breaking down, um, and you see the there's there's always with this is the thing, God God didn't God didn't okay, say a man having concubine and 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 many right. wives. He always meant for a man and a woman to come together right. as one. Yep. Man decided to do what they wanted. And out of that always comes a consequence and sin. And, and, and you, you see it. You see it throughout. And this is another perfect example, you know, with, with respect to after Levit- Leviticus, you see the consequences that happened in David's right. family. And, and I would say, too, you know, Solomon, I think, is probably the most well-known example of a man having multiple wives and concubines and 
You right. know, I mean, even the Song of Solomon is written to one woman he lusted after. Um, you know, there's there's two arguments I think we can make uh, in in this frame, and one of it is not necessarily that God allowed it, but that God was using it to protect the women in uh, in the culture because women were often on a they were uneducated. They were untrained. They did not have any skill sets. And, and if their husbands passed according to Levitical law, then their brother needed, or the husband's brother had to step in. Now, does, if that right. husband's brother's already married, does that mean he has to take her on as a wife? Well, it, he'd have to take her on to protect her. And, mm-hmm. and the one thing too, I find is it, it may not necessarily be that all of these women were actively having sexual intercourse with, Solomon or, or, or whoever, but that they were simply living under the roof and protection of Solomon and others. And so I, I would argue a, a little bit different take than the modern view uh, of polygamy. Polygamy today, you know, as TLC touts it, it's like active sexual intercourse between all the couples that, you know, all the time. Whereas it's, it, yeah. Yeah, it's for self, it's for gain, it's for sexual right. um, pleasure. Whereas in scripture, yep. we don't necessarily see that often. And, and and I can't I can't defend Solomon too much in that in that context because he does literally write the Song of Solomon lusting after this woman. Uh but I I find that in all of it, there's reasons behind why some of this stuff was given to us to know. And some of these women, you know, didn't have anything better. And, and in fact, their life outside of if their husband had passed or they never married, their lives probably would have fallen into slavery or prostitution or they would have starved to death because they can't provide for themselves. And <clears throat> so going under essentially the household, you know, uh, umbrella of of a of another man probably would be beneficial to to that. Uh, you know, and then it's. You also have to understand, too, that in the time period, it's probably, you know, if a king or somebody is in negotiations with, you know, a, another f- nation or another providence or whatever, and they're offering up, you know, their daughters as, you know, collateral to something, then the king's probably going to take them on as, as you know, servants, wives, concubines or whatever. It would be different mm-hmm. if if the text kept telling us there were they were, all of these women were prostitutes, because then that would give us a different uh, framework. You know, wives is different than concubines. Concubines are different than prostitutes, and and I think it pays us well to just see the scripture in a little bit different light. But I do agree with you, however, one hundred percent that God never gives man the green light to do this. It was always designed, and even Jesus says this in Matthew 19, that marriage was designed between one man and one woman, and they would come together and become one flesh. It wasn't between a man and 30 yeah. women to become you know, 30 pieces of flesh. It was one man, one woman. And then he even goes on to say, and, but Moses knew that you guys were a bunch of sinners, and so he gave you the ability to divorce your wife and marry whoever you wanted. And, and so, you know, a little bit different context, you know, when it comes to talking about divorce and things like that, but 
that was the the culture they they operated within what the levitical law allowed them to operate in and if the levitical law didn't say that you know man is restricted explicitly to one life even though you know we we have writings in you know the time of solomon we have you know the torah uh completed by this time where marriage was orchestrated between one man and one woman and but it wasn't a levitical law and so you know these men are going to exploit that and it comes back to yeah I, just really quick it comes back to the notion that this is man's doing and this is man's sin but it's not unforgivable and god will still hold on to it or hold on to the one who is committing such, such sin yeah and that's a great note to close on. I, so, you know, Sarah didn't trust God. Yeah, right. She, she gave up Hagar. Okay. Yep. yep. And God still, still accomplished what he needed to accomplish. Uh, that it is the unfolding of his plan all the way through Revelation, despite our just inability to keep it right, do things right, simply follow God's yep. law. Because he knows, he knows we're flawed and we can't do it, and, and that's why yep. ultimately he sent his his son. So, um, yeah, I, I think that that puts a that puts a lid on it. I, th- I think it's a great uh, breakdown of it. And um, but you got to study the scripture and you have to understand, right. yep. um, you know, God's overall purpose and the meaning of you know what we have in this collection of books um, that come directly from God. You know what his plan is. Yep. So, um, you know, it, what, what, what popped into my head was this Genesis fifty twenty, and, and I'm not going to try, I'm not trying to take it out of context, but there's a serious application in, in, in that verse, um, you know, when you read it and what happened to Joseph, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and what he is saying that God never, he never fors- forsake um, Joseph. He never left him. Right. He was with him all the way yep. through. His brother's had a plan yep. and it was evil yep. straight from Satan it was evil and you know what God meant it for good and he kept his promise and look at the result and what came came to fruition after his brothers reconciled with Joseph okay so you know it, there's there's so much application in that verse um, I, I think it's it's a great the story of Joseph and the true story of Joseph mind you um is, is is it's an amazing it's an amazing story of of forgiveness and humility uh, so I, I definitely recommend oh, yeah. uh, get digging into digging into yeah that. I, I I felt terrible uh, working through Joseph because or really Genesis in my sermons because I couldn't exhaust you know all the oh, text I mean there was yeah. so much that I just couldn't cover and yeah uh, you know, but I hit the high points, and, and I really hope they enjoyed it. But yeah, Genesis is a fascinating book, and again, and and I think what we'll do is we'll take the last you know twenty minutes of each show, and we'll talk about a particular passage, and hopefully I'll apply it for a hermeneutical application, because I think it would be beneficial to the listener to see how you know challenging passages can be interpreted in different ways. Yeah, exactly. All right, man. On that note, yeah. I'm Anthony. I'm Pastor Alex. And this is a matter of truth. So look us up on Instagram as well. Um, and we appreciate your, your time, your support. 
the support of this ministry that we got going on. Um, and uh, yeah, we will see you next time. Right? Yeah. Thanks. God bless. God bless. 